Welcome to the weekend edition of The Learning Curve, where we discuss something that we've, that's been on our minds this week. Shelly, uh, what's, what's been on your mind? What have you been learning? This has been quite a week. Um, you know, still dealing with COVID-19. Um, they have semi-reopened our state, and so people are back out. Um, we are not. We are still hunkered down and making the choice to um, forego a lot of the, the choices that we could be making right now to get out and active, um, just trying to still say stay, say stay, say stay safe. And also, um, this week we learned of the February shooting of Ahmad Arbery. And that has come out quite um, large in the social media or media in general, uh, mainstream and social media. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, what about you, Chad? I've been uh, thinking, I'm writing a, a short book on Calm, and I have been thinking all, all of the different ways that we can think about how to achieve calm. You know, I think in our... Um, Western, you know, over the past few decades, we've been in, in one approach, a popular approach to managing calm has been to um, get serious about meditating, which is, you know, something that we've borrowed from the traditions of Buddhism. And uh, meditation is is amazing. There's a lot to say about it. But I, I also think that there are a lot of other ways. It's not just about emptying the mind and sort of looking down on our thoughts and making them seem trivial and smaller, uh, although that definitely has its place. I think that it's also about managing our expectations. I think that we can learn and, and, and exam, learn to examine and analyze our responses to stress events and chaos. And so that's one of the things that I've been learning about. Um, one of like managing expectations when something bad happens to me, for instance, um, how to not take it so personally. Uh, for instance, I was just thinking about like when um, a bike was stolen from our outdoor shed a few years ago. I, you know, I took it really personally. I was like, "Why me? Why? Why my bike? Didn't the thief realize that you know the to make the money required to buy a new bike would take you know savings and a lot of hard work? Not to mention the shopping and how many bike rides was I going to be losing out on? And you know, taking my kids and why my neighborhood and my shed and uh, you know, you can go on." And, uh, and I think that that's an example of like when bad things happen, it's easy to take them personally. And I even think that when good things happen, we tend to take, take them personally. And I want to be more about developing the inter, the inner self so that I can both as I'm going to quote Marcus Aurelius here and say to receive without pride and let go without attachment. And so there are just things all over us right now with the chaos of life. And I'm trying to lead from within. Uh, I can't control the actions of people outside of me. And I can't control the uh, events of nature and circumstances far beyond my control. So I woke up this morning and um, checked social media, which I do in the mornings. And I had an inbox message. Um, 
a Facebook message from someone I worked with a very long time ago. Um, and it was, I believe, meant to incite me into some kind of an argument or some kind of a defensiveness based on a post that I had put up yesterday about uh, Ahmad Arbery's shooting death. And I'm left with a choice now. Like I'm sitting here, I have not responded yet. What did it say? Um, it was, uh, I put up a, a quote by, from Christian author John Pav- Pavlovitz, who is a um, liberal Christian author, um, really, um, you know, his intense mission, like, and he's, he's very unapologetic about it, is around equality and diversity. And so he's coming out swinging um, this week in, in light of this video that's come out. Um, and it was just his name and a question mark, you know, and, and no other context around the question. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, what's, what is the question? Is it meant just to kind of goad me into some kind of a, an argument or, or defense, defending this author who is a more of a liberal author versus... Um, so this person in your inbox said something that like was kind of making fun of... No, your- it was just the author's name, John Pavlovitz, oh. question mark. Oh, I see. Um, okay. I guess, you know, I don't know. How would you interpret that? Uh, that he's incredulous that you're you know, citing someone who would be liberal then based right. upon what you just yeah. said. Yeah, so... so um, I'm I'm sitting here thinking through how I want to respond. Uh, we've talked a lot about leadership this week on the podcast with Kim Shumpert. Um, right. We've talked about it in our Facebook group quite a bit. Um, our bishop, Bishop Cole, last Sunday um, on our Zoom church service, he spoke about it um, in terms of looking for these, you know, wise leaders, um, the people around us that are, um, um, not easily incited. In fact, they're, they're deescalating us. They're making us think they're, um, pushing us to, uh, stay in that calm place that you're talking about, which is really hard sometimes, especially, you know, I, I, I have this Irish temper. I have this, like, (laughs) I always have, I just get like, um, you know, outraged easily, I think, um, when I don't understand how people behave and say what they say and do. So, um, so I'm thinking a lot about leadership this week and thinking in this situation, how do I lead myself with integrity and how do I stay in my values when I choose to respond to, um, this gentleman? And I'm reading a book, Growing Yourself Up by Jenny Brown. And she gives a list of seven things that um, she calls it a checklist of the solid inner adult. And, you know, her thesis in this book is that most of us, all of us at some point are pretend adults. You know, we, we haven't done the work of really developing ourself, you know, capital S. And therefore, we let relationships and conflict and chaos kind of swing us around into uh, an unemotional or an emotional immature state. And so she has this list, uh, and I'm going to read it real quick because I think it's really helpful. It's 
to me, it is a high bar <laughs> that I don't know that I'll ever reach, but it's a good and worthy goal. Um, and her first, her first on the checklist of the solid inner adult is the solid inner adult is made up of inner convictions that have been formed gradually and can only be changed from within, not from relationship pressure. Number two is you're able to express a viewpoint clearly without declaring a dogmatic rightness and disinterest in listening to others' views. Number three, you're able to balance working on independent goals with seeking and nurturing closeness with others. Number four, in times of high stress, the solid inner adult is able to stay connected with others without losing their ability to voice their different viewpoints. Number five, you're able to tolerate intense feelings in yourself and others without an impulsive drive to alleviate those feelings. And there's two more. Number six, you're able to focus on self and your part when a difficulty arises in a relationship. And the last one, you're able to take responsibility for managing your own anxieties without needing to take responsibility for the feeling states of others. So in the midst of swirling conflict and chaos, or even just tension, you know, being a sturdy, solid inner adult, having that part of you is maintaining a self, maintaining your convictions and viewpoints, and not being pulled um, through the conflict, not being um, changing your viewpoints and solid self as a result of the conflict. Um, so I think that that's really being tested in me this week. And I think there's a, a part of me that is kind of growing up and like how, you know, what do I engage in and what do I not engage in? Um, I told you this morning, Chad, that it's not an option to just be silent. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I, 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 I can't not speak and say my values and say what I think um, or choose not to because that's not who I am and it's not how I'm going to live. But I also... Uh, and doing that will arouse people that will would be happy to share their viewpoints with me. So I'm really learning on how to stay a sturdy self in the middle of so much tumult going on right now. I think calm is something that we are all wanting um, to find more of because I, I think that right now what I'm seeing a lot of is continued outrage or just irritation uh, with sort of all sides of of the equation, and what I what I've come to understand is um, when that is happening, when we our, our our natural like reflexive way of behaving, the brain that that part at the stem of our brain that connects to the um, the spine is the um, subcortical limbic region. It's considered our most ancient part of our brain, and that's the part that kind of has the the immediate. Um, emotional reaction mm -hmm. and it's the more evolved prefrontal cortex that is like that filters and like tries to help well well it gets tired our prefrontal cortex it gets it gets fatigued in a sense um when we continue to see things that 
give us activating responses or trigger us. And, uh, and so people like we tend to, you know, it's, it feels good. It feels, t- it gives us temporary calm to tell someone else that they're wrong. Uh, and it's a way that we actually, it's a very normal way that we, by blaming or focusing on others, real or perceived flaws that we temporarily sort of calm ourselves down. And while that may be normal, that's not the ideal way to approach uh, achieving uh, true calm. And Yeah, and the if you think about the limbic system, the emotional part of the brain. Yeah. I've heard it said that it it's a, has a f- six-lane freeway system to the prefrontal cortex. So it is like yeah. your emotions go quickly and fast and they're on high alert and we're ready to access them. But the prefrontal cortex, so your rational part of your brain, has a one dirt gravel road (laughs) to your limbic part of your brain. So it is really difficult to talk yourself out of what you're feeling, especially when it's inflamed, it's anger, it's outrage. You know, those are the protective emotions meant to help us survive. And that's why these practices are so important to cultivate because that's how we get the prefrontal cortex you know, illuminated to do the work it needs to do. It's through the practice of calm. It's through the practice of mindfulness. It's through the practice of, of empathy. And those are things, skills we can build, uh, which will help us endure some of the conflict that we're all feeling right now. Yeah. Uh, I, one, one last thought is, um, I've, you know, amongst other things I've studied a lot about, um, you know, calm in contrast with anger. And uh, so it's a little bit beyond even the irritation that we're talking about. There's a lot of outrage, a lot of anger. And uh, I've read portions of Seneca's uh, Day Era, which is on anger, and it is so powerful and persuasive. And he effectively is saying just like keep anger out of your house. And he means the inner house and actually your, your literal house. Um, okay, go ahead. So I want to yeah. say something about that though, because you know, yeah. I like I think about what's happening right now with the killing of Ahmad Arbery, and I'm uh, Andy Stanley had a tweet um, yesterday, I believe, and our Uncle Ronnie also retweeted it and had a comment about it, and both of them, so these, you know, middle aged aging white men, <laughs> okay. um, said. It was, you know, someone had said, you know, calm down before you respond. And they both said, no, like, I'm not going to calm down. I'm going, it is, there, there's a, there's a time to be calm uh-huh. and there's a time to be outraged. And, and, and until the outrage swells to the point of real systemic action, then there is not equality for all. This is, this, we're lying as a country. And so... So I get this really important <laughs> stoic response yeah. of anger, I think, but, but I also really want to challenge that, that I, I think there's a lot of people who are trying real hard to be disciplined and, and yeah. wise in their responses. And then sometimes we just need to not be calm. We need to, to call attention to inequality, bigotry, Hatred. Okay, I'm. I'm not saying this is interesting. Okay, first of all, um, anger is not the opposite of calm. 
So um, anger is is an emotion that can disrupt calm. So I'm not just just saying always be calm, but I'm saying I am trying to wrap my head around the possibility of um, does anger ever have a a place? Um, Seneca brings in every single point you could we could think of like there are people who say yes no it can motivate you in certain ways and uh, you should be able to temper it or moderate it uh, and it's just I think his context was the he thinks it's the most savage of all the emotions it's the the least civilized um, approach for humans to have if you need to take revenge or if you need to follow up on actions do them not out of anger but out of more virtuous um, you know motivations and Yes, yeah. I understand that. Okay. So, you know, anger is an activating emotion. That's the the evolutionary requirement of anger is it's activating us yeah. to do something. And then yeah, whatever mm. we go to do, I think yeah. there does it does need to be done with um strategy and with policy and with like really thoughtfulness. And so I get that distinction, but I I want to be careful um you know, not to not to dismiss. I think the very real piece of this, which is there is discrimination and bigotry oh, yeah. and hatred, and it is not okay. And if we didn't get the uh, the if we didn't get it on video, the uh, the shooting of uh, Arbury, like one wonders, like you know, would there at all even be the discussion or the arrests made? Right. That's right. Um, there is a fantastic quote by, uh, to conclude, um, by on, on anger. It's from his book, wishful thinking theologian and novelist Frederick Beekner describes anger like this of the seven deadly sins. Anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the, to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And on that note, yeah. we're going to con- conclude our weekend. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks everyone. I hope you have a good weekend. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.